ladies and gentlemen, it seems we have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TopSpeed.com podcast. TopSpeed.com is your home for all the crazy, wonderful, wild things that are automotive and on the internet. If you like tuners, we have them. you like new cars, we have those too. If you like crazy people with microphones, well, that's what we're here for. I'm Christian Moe, and I'm joined today by Justin Coupler. Justin, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Christian? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us. Joining us again is Mr. Mark McNabb. Mark, how are you today? I can't complain, folks. Doing all right. Not complaining is a good thing. Yes, not that anyone would actually listen, but hey, you know. <laughs> there we go. All right, on today's show, we have lots of fun things. We've got the cars in the driveway. We've got video games to talk about. We have some crazy hybrid stuff from BMW, a new Camaro, some cheap Bentleys, a few Land Rovers, and we're going to go over some things that we missed on last week's Geneva show. So we're going to go ahead and start with our weekly wheels. Mr. Mark McNabb, what have you had some time to drive? Um, you know, I spent some recent time in the uh, Toyota Tundra, and I was pretty impressed with that. Um, it's a little bit, I don't know, the refresh for 2014, it freshens it up, but it really doesn't change the truck a whole lot, not so much like the, you know, the 2015 uh, F-150 coming out or the, even the 14 uh, uh, GM Twins. But, uh, you know, it's a nice truck, um, especially the, uh, the 1794 Luxury Edition. It's kind of like the King Ranch for Ford. Really nice. Um Leather seats are very nice, fit and finish is very good. Um, still got the old uh, 5.7 liter V8. Um, you had enough, <laughs> well, you know, it had enough power. It, it did what it had to do, but it just seems like it's an old engine. But, you know, I can't complain. It worked well. Um, it gets terrible gas mileage, but, you know, hey. That's, that's my only issue I've had with the Tundra is it feels old in all the wrong ways, I think, yeah. to me. But I've not driven the 2014 yet, so. Yeah. Yeah, I've never had the uh, pleasure of driving a Tundra, but I can always say when I look at it, I just feel like I'm looking at the the bottom dog of the truck Rome right now. Yeah. You're not looking at, you're not looking at your Silverado and your F-150. You're looking at something way down below that. Yeah. And, you know, perhaps my biggest complaint about the whole truck, and I wrote this in my review too, is the fact that it only has one <laughs> USB port. You know, you look at the, the new Silverado. It's got like 15, and then they're all over the cabin, so, like, everyone can charge your phones at the same time. But on the Tundra, it's just got one. So, I mean – you know, that's it's it feels outdated in that regard. I think, in the most part, for me. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, the Silverado and stuff is now designed to be basically a rolling office for a lot of these people who do, you know, actual work with their trucks out on the job job sites and stuff. And you need to be able to keep your devices charged and your phones and all that stuff. Yeah. So I do think that's kind of a big oversight on Toyota's part. It will eventually roll out, though. They're just a little bit behind. The Tundra's kind of an afterthought, I think, for Toyota. They they like it, and it's a good way to get into the market, but I think it's just an afterthought for them at this point. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, their bread and butter is, you know, the Camry and the Corolla, things like that, the cars. The trucks, um, I think, you know, they're still, they're still trying to break into that market. I think the Tacoma, if they finally refreshed it, would be quite amazing, especially, you know, with that, that size. But uh, currently... The Tundra just – it does feel like it was kind of a warmed-over refresh, but it's still a nice truck. Um, Tacoma, I actually do like, but that, I think, is a talk for next week's show. Um, Mr. Justin, what have you had some time to drive? I had the pleasure to have a 2014 uh, Mazda MX-5 Club. 
Um, Lucky you. Mm, club, yes. club, Mazda good. And I am, as I said in my review, a Miata file. As you guys know, I have a Mazda Speed Miata sitting in my garage right now. Um, I fell in love with the car from the second I got in it because it is pure Miata. Mazda didn't do anything to it to, to change to change it. It's it's simple. It's cheap. It's filled with plastic. It's ugly on the inside. It's uncomfortable. It's loud. It's everything that is Miata. Um, the only only change really is the hard top, which I can't complain because my soft top, the whole time you're driving down the road at any speed over 30 miles an hour is <laughs> the whole time you're driving. And this is after a brand new top. So it's it a nice, uh, a pleasant surprise to find out that the hard top knocked down the noise that much. Plus they put in a nice new uh, system to unlatch the top where it's right in the center. It no longer has a dual latches like mine has. You just take one hand, notch it, and hit the button, and down it goes. Nice. So that's a nice change. Um, and also the club adds in the uh, all the nice little uh, effects, the MX-5 label on the bottom, the black effects and everything like that. It's really cool. Um, the only thing I don't like is is uh, the power. I missed my Miata, my Mazda Speed the entire, entire, entire time I drove it. You know, mine's over 200 horsepower now after some of the work I've done to it. This thing's only at 167, and the torque is way down at 140. So yeah. you really have to wind that thing out to get it going. But on the flip side of that, it's one of the best four cylinders I've heard in a long time to wind out. Um, they have the intake and exhaust perfect, where it just gives this nice, nice growl at high RPMs. It doesn't get too buzzy. Okay. Um, was this your first experience with the NC third gen Miata? Because yeah. yours is a second gen, right? Yeah, first time with an NC. <clears throat> I dig me some NC. Yeah, you know, they get some complaints. I don't necessarily like what they did to the body. I think they kind of went backwards on the design a little bit. Now, the little refresh they did recently kind of made it nicer. But I think they went backward a little bit, almost to the kind of chick car look they got in years past, back in the NA generation. Um, but the, the, the drivability of the NC is far nicer than the NB and the NA. Okay, so you don't like the way the NC looks. Well, audience, if you haven't figured this out yet, um, Justin's job on the podcast is going to be to be wrong all the time. <sighs> all right. Always wrong. Always wrong with you. Always, always, always. <laughs> well, you're just always wrong. That's not my fault. I can say the grass is green. Nah, it's orange. Well, of course, my grass is kind of orange right now, but <laughs> so I'm getting wrong. that taken care of, though, off topic. Okay, getting it taken care of. All right. Um, so they had some fun things to drive. Um, what I spent some time with was one of the most boring cars in the entire world, the Lexus ES350. <clears throat> Spruced up Camry. You know, I was really sort of upset when it landed in the driveway, and I was like, oh, of all the great things I could be driving. But actually, um, I kind of fell in love with it a little bit. I, I did put a lot of miles on the car. Um, I had it for six days, and I put 750 miles on it. Oh, oh my so, What did you do? <laughs> um, I, I took it home to visit my parents, actually. Uh, so that's a 138-mile one-way trip or something, and I did that in one day. I drove down in the morning, spent most of the day with them, and then came home in the evening and um, took it up into the mountains with some friends in the back, and we went and we did tubing up at the local ski resort. So, I mean, you know, I, I drove it a lot, and... I realized, especially on that morning when I drove it out to my parents, what the car is made for. Um, I, I wasn't feeling super well, but I had to make the trip, and I was tired, and I had a headache, and I didn't feel good, and it's like 7 o'clock in the morning, and the Lexus was super quiet, and it was super comfortable, and I just hit the cruise, and it just carried me on my journey down the interstate for 100-plus miles. And I was like, I totally understand now. 
I get what this car is. Well, that's always been Lexus, always. Yeah, just a fluffy cloud. Right, but it's like it always was – I always focused on everything else that makes it seem kind of terrible. But there are, granted, a lot of people, as we can tell by the Camry and Lexus sales, that don't want to drive. And they hate driving, and it's just something they have to do to get to work or they have to do to go see their family. And if you don't enjoy driving and you just really want to be comfortable you know, while you're getting from your point A to point B, the ES350 is a really solid way to do that. Plus, the, f the fuel economy is good. I mean, it's got that 3.5 liter V V6 in it, but I was still – I had a cruise set it just slightly over standard highway cruising speeds <laughs> without incriminating uh -huh. myself. And um, I still saw 31. I've seen screenshots of your speedometer, so don't say that. <laughs> that was a different car, and we're going to not tell that story. Not on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up with just a hair over, over 30 on that journey. So, bad. I mean, it's not exactly flat and level coming through the middle of Tennessee. Well, you what, know. what didn't you like about it? Um, that's the thing. Like, aside from the fact that it's really boring to drive, like, nothing. That's yeah, like so. That's I guess my biggest complaint about it is it doesn't make you feel anything. Like there's nothing bad about it, and there's nothing good about it. It's just a car. It's kind of like driving a Buick LeSabre. Um, a, a, a little bit. Uh, but yeah, like that was my when I got done with it, I learned to understand why people like the Lexus. And if you judge a car based on what it's supposed to be, like if you treat it like a tool, like I have a hammer and my hammer's job is this, um, the Lexus is super su successful, you know, because it is a tool for doing a certain job, and it does it impeccably well. Yeah. The seats are super comfortable. The ride is extra soft. It is incredibly quiet in inside. The stereo is nice, so if you like to crank the tunes when you go down the road. So for like the purpose of it, 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 it does that purpose perfectly, so I can't fault it for that. Yes, I'd love to have a big loud exhaust and a huge engine or more horsepower or better steering, but that's not a Lexus. So. No. I was upset when it showed up, and I was sad when it left because I grew to like it. All right, so that was our weekly garage. We're going to go ahead and move into the story. And first thing we're actually going to start about is big news just broke this morning. Um, there's apparently been a leaked story in a Japanese automotive magazine that the new hybrid-powered 2016 Nissan GTR will have over 800 horsepower. Justin, what do you think about this? Well, we all knew the hybrid was coming. Um, we broke that story many, many months ago. It's It's been out for a long time. They, they tease us with the whole electrify buyers or whatever Nissan was teasing us with. Then they confirmed it a little while later. Um, but the horsepower output, I didn't expect. I don't think anybody expected it to get up there around the uh, the, the range of the, the LaFerrari and the, the – uh, the 918 and things like that. None of us expected that. I expected maybe six, 650, somewhere in that range, but the hit 800 is absolutely fantastic. And if that picture that, that we posted from the Japanese magazine is actually accurate, Nissan did their homework with the, with the GTR. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. So I've never thought the GTR looked incredibly good to begin with. I always thought it was kind of bland, but I do like the new sort of swoopy shapes that this has. Um, but I'm a little worried about the power output. I, I, I think we're starting to get to the point where we're getting too much. Too much? Who are you? Who too are much? You? Who are you? And bring us back Christian Moe, please. I'm a man that understands physics. And we've gotten – like 
already the GTR has to use so much mechanical wizardry to keep itself on the road between, you know, all the torque vectoring and stuff that it does, and now we have all these cars that, beyond things like a torque vectoring all-wheel drive system, have active aero bits on them, you know, like, we're to the point where unless we come up with some radically new, like, tire technology or something, like, more power isn't making us really any faster. And in a lot of places, it could actually be making us slower. So, like, I'm just worried about that. Well, I don't, I don't see how it could possibly make us slower in any way. I mean, it's, it's, it's for number one. Here's the, here's the number one thing. We're going back to the muscle car era all over and all over again, except it's now electrified. Um, the muscle car era is all about horsepower. Rawr, how many horsepower do you have under the hood? That's all people cared about. And we're getting back to that that era where people are just trying to push the muscle up there. Um, but the good thing is now we're not driving lead sleds like we were back in the 1960s. We have the technology to make these things handle. They have the all-wheel drive to get it off the line without smoking the rear tires to, to steal bands. Um, so we have all this technology at hand. Why not push the power up? And so like that's that's my my thing is I think we're really hitting the upper limits of where we can push the power because once you get so much power even with all this fancy tech technology if I'm coming through a corner and I try and get on the gas those tires can only handle so much physics is still physics and we haven't found a way to really bend that too far yet and we're going to lose time and we're going to lose speed because we can't get all that power down well that's where people have to Learn how to drive. <laughs> if you don't know how to hit the apex of a turn and break out of it, then what are you doing driving that fast in the first place? Well, but there still comes there's there still comes a point, you know. Like if you have, especially with electrification, if I have 800 pound feet of torque available at zero RPMs, and I even look at the gas pedal, there's a chance I can break loose. Like that's just the way physics works. So you know, like. I'm just a little worried that we're starting to hit a point where we're just getting a bit too much, and I would rather see them take time and money into finding better ways to cut weight and maybe do better tire stuff, and, and that's what I want to see, not 800 horsepower. Well, the weight savings are coming too. We're, we're at a point in the automotive world where technology is just technology is overflowing, and they don't know what to do next. We have all these lightweight materials coming out. Carbon fiber is getting cheaper to make. Electrification is getting cheaper to make. Batteries are getting cheaper. Everything's getting better. Um, but I do agree with you on the point that the one thing that's not getting better are tires. Yeah. Tires are the same. They're the same vulcanized rubber they've been since the 1960s. It's the same stuff, just a little bit stickier here and there. Add a little, little more silica to it, and they're a little stickier. Um, so, yeah, I do see your point there. But we're at a point where technology is booming, so this stuff is coming. And it's just right now the war is how much power do you have? And how fuel efficient it is with that power. Nah, fuel economy doesn't matter. <laughs> it's going to in a few years. Well, it's cool that, I mean, you know, this technology is coming out on, like, the GTR, which, you know, it's it's kind of like a halo car. And then that kind of works its way down into more, I guess, pedestrian-type cars that everybody can afford. And it's, it's just it, that technology spreads, and it makes everybody's life better because – you know, somebody tried and they pushed the envelope here in this one car, um, you know, and it just 
it, it spreads. That's that's all there is to it. Yeah. It's just and really cool that they can push the envelope with this. And that's an excellent point. I mean, these these technologies like this trickle down from the top down. We have, you know, they start off in F1 and Le Mans yeah. racing. They make it into the Halo cars, and they make it down to the sports cars. Then they make it to the the higher end commercial cars, and they just make their way down. Yeah, I'm still worried. 800s a bit much. Nah, never, never, ever, ever. Well, I tell you what, Nissan will just have to send us one whenever they uh, yeah. come out, right? Yeah. That's all. Give it to Nissan. Give it to us so we can see if it's too much horsepower. We'll let that's you know. Right. That, that sounds like a great plan. And actually, um, I'm kind of a big fan of long road road trips. We could try and do a cross-country blast, and we'll see just what we can do with this car. We'll stop and hit 10, 12 racetracks on a nice tour around the country or something. Sound sounds all right? fantastic. I'll work up an email for Nissan. We'll send it off to them. I'm sure uh, they'll work that lickety split. Fantastic idea. <laughs> They won't even confirm it. I doubt they're going to give it to us. <laughs> Just yeah. give it a year's time. What are you talking about, guys? We don't have this car. Well, speaking of cars that we can't seem to get a hold of, let's move on to our next story. Look, I made a segue. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about some video games because this kid likes video games. Um, over the last week and a half or so, um, two of the big video games right now, Forza 5 and the Need for Speed Rivals game, have gotten some pretty big updates. Uh, have either one of you played either of these games? I can say that I am the father of a three-year-old, so my video game time is about uh, none. <laughs> All right. I, I would have to concur on that one, yeah. I've got uh, too many irons in the fire to be... Um... Uh, I guess playing video games. That's that's. I'll have to leave it at that because I'm. So, Mr. Mo, why don't you tell us? Well, that's why so, you don't play video games. You do them for work, which is why I play racing video games. Touche, <laughs> sir. There's touché. the rub. All right. Well, so let's let's go ahead and start with Forza Five because uh, I've been spending most of my video game time with that one. Um, we have a new set of cars that are that that have just come out. It is in a pack. So this one is uh, from Alpine Alpine Stars. Um, the big news about this one is it adds uh, Toyota's GT1 Le Mans racer. That's like the really big exciting thing about this game. Um, most everything else that's in the car are cars that were in it previously. Um, so it's not too big a news to get them in here. But having uh, Toyota's GT1 Le Mans racer is huge. Uh, the other cars in the in the list include the Radical SR8 RX. You get the 1969 Ferrari Dino 246 GT. Beautiful car. Yes, isn't it though? Uh, they have a 65 Mustang GT Coupe. Um, you, we also have an 85 Mazda RX-7, the GSL SE model. They have an Ultima GTR 720, a 97 Mitsubishi GTO, and then one of my favorites from this list, an 86 Alfa Romeo Spider, because yay, Alfa Romeo. And then they add the underestimated, I think, 81 Volkswagen Scirocco S. That was definitely my, one of my dream cars when I first was getting my license was the Scirocco. Is between that and the IROC Z28, and I want to play IROC, <laughs> but uh, yes, I know. Should you know, mullet and all, rocking the T-tops, but hey, I, yeah. I saw one yesterday. They are beautiful. They really are. They're a cult classic. Something like that. <laughs> Man, you guys are just all about being wrong. Um, <laughs> I am. If uh, you are interested in the Forza Five car pack, you can download it now. I think it's ten dollars, unless you're a member of their season pass program. Uh, then you get all ten cars for free. 
another one of the big additions that we have is for the new Need for Speed game, which is Need for Speed Rivals. And they have just come out with a new car pack of their own, and it's the movie car spec. So it's based on a lot of the movies they have in the new Need for Speed movie, which I've not gone to see it, but I heard it's kind of terrible. Yeah, I read some reviews on it, and not so kind. Everything was pretty much pointing to it's just a bunch of explosions, cars crashing, and a lot of unrealistic events, and and people are kind of scattered in between, and it just, everything I read about it pretty much downs it. Yeah, I I didn't get to see any reviews, but just watching the previews themselves completely turned me off from it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I will definitely spend the money to go see it just because, but I don't really expect much out of it. I'm going to wait for it to come out on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best way to do it. That, wow. that probably is. Um, while, you know, there's lots of pretty cool cars um, in this little car pack, uh, like the Sesto Elemento and stuff like that from Lamborghini, the big news is the Spagna GTA from a GTA Spano. We did a story about uh, that car a little while ago, how it was making its debut in the... Uh, Need, need for Speed movie. So that is in the new car pack, which is what everyone's really talking about. Um, if you didn't read the story on it or you missed it, um, it's a 99-run ve- vehicle with an 8.3-liter V10 that has a supercharger, and it makes 900 horsepower. See? So, is that too much horsepower, horsepower for you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, for most situations, probably. Because yeah, this one help. is rear-wheel drive. <laughs> I'm going to take a, a, story, a, a term out of your book. You, sir, are wrong. You know what? <laughs> you're not allowed to tell me that because you're wrong more than I am. <sighs> but um, 0 to 62, 2.9 seconds, which is awesome. Uh, top speed, 217 miles an hour, which is also awesome. Um, you know, if I had this on, like, an abandoned airstrip, that would be super fun all day. Trying to tear around the Nürburgring, I'd probably kill myself. That's not a Nürburgring car. Right, but it's got 900 horsepower. What else are you going to do with it? You're going to be like, I want to go race around racetracks with my 900 horsepower car. There you go. <laughs> Sounds you know, about right to me. You know, I mean, let's, that's fun. Yeah, okay, but, but let's go ahead and let's put the cherry on top of this horsepower pie. Because while they have the new movie pack that you can download for the Need for Speed game, and it will cost you money... Uh, they've also come out with a new download for the game that won't cost you a single penny, but it is only one car. It is a big one, though. Um, the Koenigsegg 1-1 is now a free downloadable car for Need for Speed Rivals. That was completely, totally awesome that they did it for free. Um, that's one car they could have easily put a $10 price tag on on just a single car, and people would have still gobbled it up. So for them to give it to people for free... That was awesome. Um, that, that's really given their their, their gamers um, value. I agree. Um, I haven't been able to hop on and download this yet to play it, but uh, that is on my weekend list of things to do is to blast around the 1-1 in my Need for Speed Rivals game. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with the 1-1, this is Koenigsegg's newest super-duper, oh-my-gosh, mega-ultra-awesome car. Um, that's the official name, by the way. Um, it's taken their 5-liter V8 that they have in things like the Agera and the Agera R, and they've boosted power up to 1,340 horsepower, and torque is a shave over 1,000 pound-feet. That's um, just too much, right? Yeah, too much, too much. <laughs> too much. That would 13. probably spin, the, it would spin the, the, the globe in the opposite direction and just cause 
total mayhem, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you don't just turn it on and it doesn't just explode into an atomic bomb-style cloud. But um, my favorite statistic about this car is it takes 20 seconds to go from a dead stop to, as close as makes no difference, 250 miles an hour. What's even more ridiculous is they didn't even mention 0 to 60. They said, you know what, 0 to 60 is just a waste of time. We'll just do 0 to 248. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like 20 seconds to go from <laughs> 0 to 250 miles an hour. It'll take probably take my golf that long to go from 0 to 100. <laughs> You're being a little generous, I think. Yeah, um, I'd say. <laughs> I don't know. I can do 0 to 60, and I think it's 7.5 seconds. That's so, probably got too much horsepower on it, though. Yeah, yeah, too much power, too much. You know what? I'm going to cancel this call, and you guys, it's just going to be me on the podcast from now on. Talking to yourself. <laughs> going to tell yourself you're wrong now? Dear, dear listeners, I want you to get on the comments for our podcast post and talk to Mr. Mark McNabb and Mr. Justin Cuffler about how wrong they are and about how awesome I am. That's your job, okay? <laughs> that, is, that is now your new name when we open the show. You're no longer Mo Christian, and you're not that. You're now just Mr. Awesome. See, there you go. Speaking I think awesome, Mr. Mr. Wrong needs to be his name. <laughs> I may not be Mr. Right, but I am Mr. Right now. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about bad pickup lines. Right? Um, picking up. Hey, great segue. Hey. Uh, BMW i8 deliveries, if you're in Europe anyways. You can start picking your car up in July. Mark, you wrote, the, wrote this piece, didn't you? I sure did, man. I tell you what, this is so cool. Um... BMW is really pushing the envelope on this. You know how we were talking earlier about you know technologies and these really expensive, nice hypercars, you know working their way down. This is kind of one of those mid-level cars that are, you know, it's definitely out of you know most of our reach, but it's still the the technology is is really interesting in this car, and it's just um, it's finally coming to market. And I never thought this car actually would make it, but here it is, and um, it just it's so exciting. I am madly in love with with the i8 in a lot of ways. Why? Why so? What What makes you like it, Chris? Uh, Justin, I think you had had something to add there. No, you quick. go ahead. I'll I'll, okay. I'll chime in. I'll chime in a bit. Cool. Um, this sort of goes back to my you don't need a crap ton of horsepower. Um, it's like this thing is it's it's a hybrid drivetrain. It's a three cylinder, one point five liter engine with some turbos on it and a small electric motor. But the car will hit 60 in just over four seconds because of the incredible carbon fiber work that's been done to this car. I mean, it's got a solid carbon fiber monocoque like, like you get in a McLaren P, P1, but this is a semi-affordable car. Like, yeah. this is totally the future in a hundred thousand ways, and it makes me really excited because it's a great way to prove that you can still have a supercar and not be crazy outrageously expensive and drink billions and billions of gallons of gasoline every minute and you're not going to fill the air with so much smog that you're choking children that live 400 miles away. Where's the fun in that though? But but no, for 135,000, um, you know, it's it's a supercar, I hate to say it, but almost a supercar Prius because I mean, you get the gasoline, you get the electric, um, you can go fully electric like in town, you know, you go into you know, you're driving in city, um, three, four, five miles an hour, totally electric, no gas burning. 
Um, you know, but with the tanks full and a full charge, you can go like 300 and something miles, you know, on one trip. And I think it just, it's the best of both worlds in the whole situation. And it gives people, you know, reason to buy the car more so than, you know, like a Tesla or something that only uses electricity. Yeah, with, with the i8, um, I think we're pretty much in all in agreement here. BMW just crushed this one. They, they hit a complete home run. Yeah. Um, they not only went outside of their bounds with design, it doesn't look like your typical BMW. It has the Qs, but it doesn't look like your BMW is a C now. That's one of our complaints about BMWs is they don't BMW, they don't change. Everything's yeah. the same, little tuck here and nip there, but this is actually a completely different design than what you see, and they stayed true to that concept. And we always complain as, as journalists about you release this nice concept, but then the car's a shell of what the concept was. Yeah, yeah that's a few touches of it. But this one really, I'd say at least 85% is what the concept looked like. Looked yeah. Like. Yeah, no, aside from like the see-through doors, pretty much the concept has stayed all the way to production. And I agree, like this thing looks like a million dollars. Like. 10, 15 years years ago, if I'm like, if someone asked me to design a supercar for the future, this is what I would have done. It's got big swooping curves, and it's got weird like flying buttress protrusions and all these holes and concave curves to it. It's just, yeah. it's awesome in a hundred ways. And the best thing is the price at 135 grand. You can't get a better car, a better all-around vehicle. You can buy faster cars. You can buy more fuel-efficient cars. But you can't buy a better all-around uh, enthusiast car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's electric. Right. I'm just because GTR is fairly practical. And <laughs> if – you know what? It has, it has four seats. And the first but time I drove one. It has two and a half. It has two and a half seats. Get that right. <laughs> right. I mean, the rear seats aren't exactly usable. But you have to sell yourself in half to get into them. They're listed as seats. It, it does have a good-sized trunk, and I have seen 23 miles to the gallon out of one. You must have been driving like a grandma. Yeah. Were you pushing um, it like a skateboard, maybe? No. Um, we were doing a quick highway loop around Nashville. Uh, we set the cruise to 61 miles an hour. And just sat there on the highway uh, for 20 minutes, and it crested. Uh, it, was, it was closing in on uh, 20, 25. I was told if I would have kept going, it would have hit 20 to 25. Downhill in neutral with the engine off. No, yeah, like. Exactly. <laughs> well, even so, my 1700, 1800 mile trip, whatever I ended up doing on it for Christmas, where I caned a GTR very often, my total fuel economy for that trip was 17.2. That's not bad for hammer on it. Um, I and I hammered that car. So I still think all around complete. I mean the total package, everything put together. I think the i8 is way up there. Yeah, I it's, I mean, it's, it's just an all around car. It's perfect. Gosh, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the photos right now and I'm just like, yes, drooled. <laughs> and those doors too. I mean, how cool is that, right? Come I on, mean, the butterfly no. doors. Oh, just. BMW, thank you. Yeah. All right. It's way more than the i3 too, but you know. You, hey, you know, I love the i3 because it's helping to bring carbon fiber manu manufacturing to a mass-produced scale. So maybe when like the fourth-gen Miata comes out, I might have like a 1,300-pound carbon fiber Miata, and that's exciting as hell. <laughs> that is true. 
That yeah. is true. Now, over under, how long does the BMW i8 actually last on the market? How long will they keep it on the market before they get rid of it? How many years uh, do you think they're going to keep it? Six or seven years, I'd say. So I'm saying four at most. Four at the really? most. Really? Yeah, I don't think no. it'll last four years. I think, especially because of the design styling of it, BMW can afford, especially if, if it's a lower production volume, uh, they can they can keep that around for for quite a few few years. I'd say they might do a small refresh in four four years, but I'm telling you, if that car came out in 2018 or 2019, it would still look just as awesome then and just as new and futuristic as it does does today. I guarantee yeah. it. Yeah, and oh, you know, yeah. I mean, BMW was they're always going to have the opportunity to advance the equipment in the car. You know, the the engine, the the electronics, uh, batteries, all that sort of stuff can be swapped out. Plus some minor changes with the body, keep it relevant. It's you know their electric halo car that attracts buyers to the brand, um, and it it just um, it, it that'll have the trickle down technology too with the other cars they they have in the lineup. I agree. So yeah, I, I, I don't really six. see a reason to get rid of it. See, I think I think it's more of a almost like a uh, an experiment for them. I think BMW is actually spending the money to say, okay, we're going to put this car out there. And see if people pick up on this technology, really pick up on this technology in a BMW and see how their buyers actually respond to it in a real-life situation. We can go to car shows and say, ooh, we love it, we love it, we love it, till we're blue in the face. But they don't actually know until the buyers start buying it. So I think they're really testing this market with the bottom-end i3, the top-end i8. And if it's successful, I think we're going to see them start filling the middle and start filling more of their lineup with this type of technology. Very true. Very true. That's a fair uh, fair argument. I will give you that. Um, so some other new car news. Uh, Justin, did you do this story or did Mark do it on the upcoming 2016 Camaro? I think uh, I did it. Mark actually did the story, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll tell you what. That was – it's very interesting. Um, you know, GM's uh, Camaro is selling like hotcakes right now. They, they're really doing a good job um, getting, uh, getting the car marketed. Um, they're selling like 80,000. They sold 80,000 last year, um, and that's way more than the Camaro 77,000, and way, way more than the Challengers, like 51,000 units. You mean sales. way more than the Mustang? As in sales. Yeah, you said sales 80,000, way more than the Camaro at 77,000. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I said. Oops. <laughs> I know I'm right because Camaro sold 80,000 last year. The Camaro only sold 77,000, and the Dodge 51,000. So <laughs> you did it again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what it sounds right in my head, but anyway, <laughs> the Camaro sold eighty-one thousand. The Mustang sold seventy something thousand. Yes, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the Camaro is doing well. It's doing well. Okay, I can't wait to re-listen to this. The Camaro is doing well. What they don't want to do is change it up too much and have people, I guess, not like it or whatever. So what they're doing is they're swapping out just basically the chassis for 2016. They're going to go with the new, um, what is it called, the ATS? Alpha platform. Yeah, it's underpinning the ATS and the new CTS. It's a great, great platform. So they're getting rid of the old Zeta, uh, you know, which under, still underpins the new Chevy SS and the old uh, like Pontiac G8 uh, GXP. You get re getting rid of that, coming in with a new uh, Alpha platform, and that is going to help the car compete with a new independent rear suspension Mustang. So, um, you know, they're they're positioning the car to make it a little more competitive. The looks aren't going to change 
that awful much for 2016. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think Chevy needs to worry that much about the look of the Camaro. Number one, it's been out since what 2010 with very little change, yeah. and it's still the top of the the top dog. Um, in last or this year's refresher, they shrunk down the grille a little bit, changed the headlights, put in the new solid tail lights. That was enough of a refresh for your average Camaro buyer. Yeah, um, especially with how well it's selling, is just enough to keep it keep it fresh. Um, and changing it over to this alpha platform is, is an awesome an awesome idea because you're going to inherit that turbocharged 2-liter. Yes. It's going to actually compete with that 2.3-liter EcoBoost. Now, it's not going to have the 270 horsepower that the ATS has. There's no way they're going to release it like that. They're going to no. push that thing closer to 300, I think, because well, the, the EcoBoost gonna, is going to have at least 305. Yeah, they're going to have to compete with the 305 horsepower out of the EcoBoost. So I think, you know, 305, 310... Something like that out of that uh, the ATS engine, that's going to be competitive on that turbocharged force induction, you know, four cylinder platform. Of course, of course, they're still going to have the LS motors cranking out, you know, ungodly amounts of horsepower. Too much in Christian's view, but no, uh, no, 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 no. Four hundred horsepower is not too much. Five hundred is not too much. It's the eight nine hundred that I think is starting to get to be a bit. What's what's three hundred horsepower between friends? Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> because I have to say that the five hundred and what is it now? Seventy two, I think, horsepower in the supercharged LSA engine that's in the uh, ZL one Camaro. The, like, the ZL one makes five eighty something. Okay, yeah. People are going to kill me for is, not getting that right, but that is not too much at all. That yeah. is perfect. Like that's I I think that's the limit. Like 600 650 that's like perfect. Yeah. 750 800's a bit much. Okay, yeah. so I'll make sure whenever Lambo calls on an Aventador press car and Ferrari calls with a LaFerrari, I'm going to tell them no, no. Christian doesn't want it. Yeah, never mind the Bugatti Veyron making over a thousand. You know, yeah, just no. he doesn't want it. it. Forget <laughs> it. Here is what the Bugatti has in its favor. It weighs more than my entire house. And it looks like a jelly bean. <laughs> right, so... so that is true. The Veyron needs 1,000 horsepower just to move because it's so heavy. Now the Veyron's a, a, a different spaceship altogether. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, 1,200 horsepower, all the luxury you could ever want, and mammothly heavy... And it's it's a ridiculous car. It doesn't even belong to me. It's not even called a car. It's a spaceship. Yeah, they are beautiful in person. Though I, I actually saw one on the road not too long ago, and it's just it's beautiful. It really is. It's beautiful in person. On the road, I've I've never seen one moving. I've seen them at auto auto shows, but I've never seen one actually in motion. On the road in Central Florida, of all places, going through a construction zone. Yes, with at six miles an hour. Orange barrels on either side of it. No, it, it was, you know, 30 miles an hour through a construction zone. It was crazy. But, yeah, I saw one. Yeah, I I dig that car. And now that you mentioned Jelly Bean, Justin, like, I, I never thought about that. But it does look kind of like a Jelly Bean. Yeah, it really does. I always just say, just rolled out a bag of Jelly Bellies. Hey, <laughs> that's perfect. Dear Internet, anyone who can who can hear this, I want someone to take one of the special edition Veyrons that are in funny colors, and I want you to Photoshop the Jelly Belly logo on the side of it and email it to us. The email, the email is podcast at topspeed.com. Please do this for me. Yes. And you know the latest version of the Veyron that came out, the, what is it, the Rembrandt's uh, Viennese or whatever it is called? The UPS special. Oh my gosh, that car looks like, it looks like a Snickers bar. <laughs> no, I, 
it, it might have been Roden Track that did it. It was I, I, whoever did this. I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, but I read lots of auto sites. Someone took it and they put the UPS logo on the on oh, the side of it as as UPS's new car. That's awesome. <laughs> well, hey, if, if Dubai can have uh, Bugatti uh, police cars, and you know the Americas can have UPS trucks. You know what? I want my packages fast. Now. <laughs> now. <laughs> We're gonna beat Amazon's uh, droid uh, or drone. Uh, I was, I was, I was, I was just about to say that if Amazon can use drones to get me my stuff in a day, I think you should be able to use Bugatti to get yeah, me my I stuff in a day. I hate to pay for shipping though. I imagine that would up the cost just a smidge. Yeah, a little bit. You know, that, that gas definitely adds up a little bit, and uh, two million on the two million on the expense report is kind of tough to yeah. swallow. <laughs> So what'd you order today? Oh, I got a brand new box of Snicker bars, 15 of them. Wow, yeah, only cost me $379,000 to ship. <laughs> but it came in a great car. See, there you go. Yeah, it's like as, as, as long as I could touch the UPS car when it shows up, no, I think no, I'd be okay. No, imagine this. Okay, we all know that delivery vehicles are usually the bare-bones, stripped-down version of everything. Picture if Bugatti actually did that. And they put the vinyl seats and the, the plastic dashboard and the, the little cheap steering wheel. <laughs> no the carpet. rubber hose out floor. <laughs> Black steel rims. <laughs> they could cut the cost at least by 100000 Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally you know what? Incredible. I think a Veyron on like 20-inch black steelies would look just awesome. <laughs> awesome is stupid. Listening. <laughs> Anyway, you know, okay. That's 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 actually a a good place to go. Uh, stripped out models. Um, so Bentley just has uh, they they just announced their new V8 model of their big big fanciness, and it's gotten a lot of people a little sort of worried about it. You know, now that you can get a flying spur with the V8 instead of the huge W12, um, people are kind of worried that. Bentley might be going down market, and and what do you guys think about cheaper Bentleys? Is this a good thing for the brand or? The V8, the V8 we knew was coming. It was inevitable, you know. Uh, um, it's, it, we all just knew it was coming. But what's really irking people now is the rumor about a baby Bentley, a smaller Bentley, one that's about I think it's about 130 to 160 thousand. They're talking about. Um, that's really when they're pushing the market way down. Uh, sure, it's still over 100 grand. It's still an expensive car, but when you're buying a Bentley, you're buying that exclu exclusivity. You're buying something that nobody else can buy. A $160,000 car, you know, some top executives making 100 grand a year can afford that car. Yeah, somebody, so somebody cross shopping like a Mercedes S Class. Yeah, yeah. If they're trying to compete with the S Class, they're really dummying down the brand a little bit. Well, but are they? Because it's like to me. Bentley's never really been this super high level. Now, so yes, te technically the Flying Spur is like a Rolls competitor, but Bentley's huge thing, especially the last what eight or nine years, has been the con the Continental brand, and so I think they've already been cheaper, and they don't have the same sort of cachet as like Rolls does. Like a Rolls is a Rolls, and you can never compete with a Rolls. <clears throat> Bentley to me has always seen like the Walmart equivalent to a Rolls anyways. Ouch. Oh, man, that, yeah, well, that, that hurts. <laughs> you know, I mean, here's the thing, though. With the V8, you know, coming down from the W12, just a crazy engine, I guarantee you 99% of the people who buy these cars 
aren't using that W12 to the max. You know, they're going from point A to point B in between meetings, you know, and it's not getting used. So why make the car cost an extra $20,000 more when you could have still a very powerful, what is it, a twin turbocharged V8 making ungodly horsepower, too much in Christian's view. Um, you know, and... I just I just don't know what what to do with you people anymore. It, it gets it gets better yeah. gas mileage, you know. Yeah, you're never gonna live this down. Yeah, the, the, the W12 is a little bit much for it. I mean, most of the guys that have this are guys or gals that have this car are sitting in the back seat with their legs propped up while a chauffeur drives them around, yeah. and that chauffeur's not hitting 60 in four and a half seconds. I'm sorry. No. So it was kind of more just a bragging rights sort of thing. So if you can save 20 grand and get a V8, great, wonderful. Um, that's why the V8 doesn't concern me nearly as much as the going down market, actually, with a smaller version. Yeah. That's what's really hurting people, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to look at it this way, too, Justin. If you are a car manufacturer and you find a way to make more money by producing more product, getting your name out there more, what's to stop you? I mean, the only downfall here is the possible... Um, cheapening of the brand but at the same time you know Mercedes and BMW have done the same thing with the the uh, CLA class the one and the two series so I mean you know really that isn't proven yet but they're doing it so I mean there's got to be some you know valor to it you know Porsche did it too they uh, and people went crazy when they started doing it they did the the Boxster and then the Cayman and then the Panamera and then the, the Cayenne and now the Macan and every time Porsche did it, enthusiasts drew another line in the sand. Okay, you can have your Panamera, but don't go any further than this. Okay, you can have the Cayenne, don't go any further than this. And now it's the Macan, and, and I'm thinking that the Macan might be pretty much the end of the line for, for the, the dumbing down of Porsche. And But with Bentley, Bentley's a different level. Bentley's not Porsche. Bentley's not Mercedes. Bentley's not BMW. Um, those guys are going after the, the top feeders in the mainstream class. They're going after your top level 300C buyers, your top level Accord buyers, and things like that. Um, Bentley is going for a niche class. They're going for the upper class people that can't, that don't want to buy a Mercedes because everybody else has a Mercedes. If they have a dollars to $160,000 Bentley, that's going to suddenly flood the market with them, and it's no longer as exclusive as it was before. So that I think is where the problem is. It's not. It's not that everybody else is doing it. It's that Bentley's a different breed. Well, well you know, I just thought ahead. about this too. You know, with like Lamborghini, right? They have the Gallardo, and that is the the least expensive model they have. A lot of people bought them. Justin Bieber got arrested in one, <laughs> uh, and they are still Lamborghini. They're still the you know, pinnacle of Italian sports, you know, of course, you know, Ferrari, but they still have that air about them. So, I mean, I don't think that it could lose value that drastically. Well, so, okay, there there are a couple things to think about, and it actually, it works. Um, so, every car company has to make money. They all have people that they have to account for. You know, they have shareholders and boards and, and things like that. And it all comes down to making profit. You have to increase profit. And with the way the world is right now and the way the world is going, the best way to do that is smaller, cheaper, and more fuel fuel efficient. So it, it makes a lot of sense for them to go down that way. And again, they've they've already been pushing with the. Um, 
you know, the con the Continental line. And also, they are still a Volkswagen family brand. And Volkswagen is still on their silly journey to try and take over the number one car sales spot. So they have to try and increase every single brand they own. And if that means putting out a Bentley that will steal S-Class sales and 7 Series sales, they're going to do it because those are sales they weren't getting before. Yeah. That is a very valid point, I think. Also, Mark, I don't have the authority to do this, but if you say Justin Bieber on the podcast again, I will fire you. <laughs> Hey, no, I was I was uh, very happy knowing that um, you know I could somehow throw that in while still sounding manly because um, you know, I think Justin Bieber is the bane of society and I think he should be sent back to Canada yesterday. <laughs> I don't Curse those can Canadians! <laughs> I don't think you can ever uh, be manly and say Justin Bieber. That's no, <laughs> this doesn't work. Send him back to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Bring us more bacon. <laughs> It's Canadian bacon. I'll call it ham here. Yes. Still. It's great on pizza. <laughs> hey, look. Why do they call Canadian bacon? I've never understood that, but oh well. You know what? That, I think, might be the first big joint between Canada and Italian, putting Canadian bacon on pizza, Ooh. wrapping it back around to terrible Bieber in an Italian Lamborghini. You see what I did there? Oh, look at I that. like that. Yeah. I like that. Now, where are we going to move from this. <laughs> we got to get away um, from this topic now. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's start with let, let's keep going with smaller cars. Um Land Rover is changing uh -huh. up their lineup and they're cutting not models necessarily but changing model names. Um and they are going to have a disco family. So we're going to have a lineup of discoveries instead of just a single one. Every time, I hear, every time I hear someone say disco, I think of John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay. Because everybody says disco. I've I've never heard that term disco all the years I've been doing this. I've never heard anybody call the discovery a disco. But here since since this whole baby discovery, I keep hearing disco, 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 and every time I hear it, I think Saturday night fever. It's because people are too lazy to say discovery, and we're gonna have to do a video version of this podcast because what you guys can't see is both of these buffoons were just dancing. <laughs> Come on. You know you like it. What you can't see in the video, though, is the disco ball I have hanging up in the center of the room. That's right. <laughs> I really need authority to fire people. <laughs> if, if you would like to be on the TopSpeed.com podcast, please send an email to podcast at TopSpeed.com. I am then, looking for replacements. And then Christian can tell you you're wrong and your car has too much power. <laughs> not if they're not wrong. I won't tell them that. Everybody's wrong to you. And, and everything has too much horsepower to you. You know what? You guys aren't allowed to make that argument against me because of the three of us, I have driven definitely the car with the most horsepower and more cars with more horsepower than either of you have. Well, you're wrong. I have been in one, two, three, four, five, seven machines with more than 500 horsepower. Um, a couple of wipers. Uh, I did Chevelle. I'd say six for me, over 500. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the baby discovery. <laughs> yeah, anyways, back on topic. <laughs> Arguing about who's been in the car with the most yeah. horse, horsepower is totally a good topic. You yes, know what? That'll be next week. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, back to the, the, the baby disco. <clears throat> um, Range Rover is uh, – Range Rover and Jaguar both are going under huge changes. Um, Range Rover in particular with the 
they're now starting to sub-brand things, um, which is really cool because they're managing to spread their their lineup to different class of people and different uh, different types of buyers without um, flooding the market uh, or d diluting the market any. Uh, because they're putting their vehicles in certain niches. You know, the Discovery lineup is going to be your leisure car, so to speak. The Range Rover is going to be your uh, sport kind of kind of area, sport luxury. And then the uh, the Defender, I think, is the third one coming. That's going to be your your badass off-road versions. Um, so it's cool there. They're breaking up into small sub-brands like that and then putting different smaller models inside each sub-brand, similar to like BMW did with the i8 and so forth. Yeah. So yeah, I, think I think it's, it's very great smart. Way to, great way to stretch your reach without overdoing your brand. Yeah, and it's very smart for them to keep the the rugged um, Defender um, version too, because you know that really upholds the Land Rover name. You know, it's it's the Jeep Wrangler of the luxury market, and uh, you know for them to keep that really says a lot about their their brand. You know, I. I agree, and I know it happens all the time because it is a fairly good sort of comparison. But if we had any British listeners, I think they just stabbed themselves, and you're like, you know, the Defender, it's like a Wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to really like the Wrangler, so. No, like, it's great, and it's, like, again, back to tools for the, for the job. You can, there are very few tools that are better at that job than a Wrangler, but, you know, British people are British, and they get angry about things, things like that. Well, they can go have their tea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, let's not get mean, unless we're talking about Canada. Yes, <laughs> Canada. I love that word, Canada. I know, something about that. It just sounds right. Right? Um, but one thing I like about this idea of the Discovery lineup is it makes things easier to understand because before they had the Discovery and then they had the Freelander, and, like, they have all of these different names, and putting them all together makes them easier, which, I mean, they did that here in the American market a long time ago. You know, we have a Range Rover, and then we have a Land Rover, and we don't have a Discovery, and we don't have a Freelander, or whatever. We have an LR2 and an LR4. And so it's that same idea of take models you have, expand on those, and then give them a common naming scheme to make it easy to understand. It's like, look at BMW. Could you imagine how difficult it would be to keep up with their cars if everything had its own name instead of just a number? It'd be impossible. Yeah, it'd be crazy. I mean, if it, if it had changed between us and Europe, you know, if if the, you know, the M3 series over there was now the, you know, Bavaria or whatever over here, it would just be ridiculous. So, you know, hopefully Land River kind of sticks with the same name on both continents. I think it's right. gonna, it should go global. I'm pretty sure it will. <clears throat> right, but I mean, it's it, it just makes a, a lot of sense because I mean, even for like American cars we can make things pretty obnoxiously hard to understand. Like, yeah. you know, we have the Camaro, and we have the Camaro ZL1, and we have the Camaro, you know, we have all these different models, and we have convertible versions of all these cars. And if you just have something like BMW does, where you have the 335, then you can keep all your models in line better, and you can understand what's better. You know a 335 is better than a 328, because 35 is bigger. And that's how most people think which is why you can get like a um, you know a Mercedes C63 that only has a 6.2 liter instead of a 6.3. <laughs> that actually blew my mind when I was talking about the C63 AMG but it's dropping to a 4.0 liter but it's going to kick the C63. Then I looked I'm like but it's a 6.2 liter so it really doesn't make any sense anyways. Right, but that's because if they come out with a AMG C40 
the old people, or not the old people, but the old buyers will think it's worse than the old C63, and they'll want to know why they made a worse car, because 63 is bigger than 40. <laughs> ah, you gotta love it. Because stupid people are stupid, and they make me angry. And they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Mercedes is wrong. Everyone is wrong. And it makes too much horsepower. Yes, too much horsepower. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Ugh. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, our amazing audience, um, they didn't send us any questions to the email, which makes us all sad. We like questions, so please do send us an email, tops, or podcast at topspeed.com. But uh, they were nice, nice enough, and we did have some comments on our post from last week. One of the things that came up is we had a wonderful reader who said, hey, we didn't talk about Mazda's new Hazumi concept that's basically going to be their upcoming Mazda 2. And... I think it's really sad that we missed that because it's a really, really good-looking car. What do you guys think? I totally agree. It, it crossed my mind last week, but we were so tied up in other stuff with the other big Geneva stuff, it kind of fell off to the side. You know, really, the Mazda 2 is the bastard child of the Mazda lineup right now. It's still ugly. It doesn't have the, the Kodo design and all that stuff. So it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb on dealerships. So to see this Hazumi come out, which we all know is the Mazda 2, Getting that Kodo design with the nice hunched over front end and all the nice uh, body lines and everything is outstanding. And to see the uh, the smaller diesel engine making its way in there, will it make it to America or not? I don't know. But seeing that diesel engine in there is fantastic too. Um, that'd be a nice upgrade. It's going to increase fuel economy plus the torque. And you know, 210 pound feet of torque. That's a good bit of twist in a little car like that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be so much fun in a little Mazda too. <laughs> too much like, power though. But you know, it's, it really There's is a no power. It's all torque, and you yeah, can never torque. have enough torque. <laughs> That's what 120 horsepower and 210 torque is. But I estimated it X. It's going to be basically a, a scaled down version of the 2.2 liter they already have now. Right. <clears throat> but sorry, Mark, continue. I was just saying, you know, I, from the pictures of the concept, it really is a beautiful car, and they've they've done a good job with the. I really especially like the uh, the sidelines here, uh, right under the B pillar, and how they match up from the front fender over the rear fender, and they kind of cross. Yeah. That's really really cool. I enjoy that a lot. So I think this, if the car ever really does make it to market, I think it'll it'll hopefully keep that and B. I think it'll really do well. I think it'll make to market, and I think it won't change much. Uh, the the big beautiful glass roof will probably be gone. Um, obviously, the super futuristic interior seats and stuff like that will be gone. But I think, as for the exterior, it'll stay almost bang on like it is. There will be smaller wheels um, with actual normal rubber on them. Uh, the HID style headlamps might be gone for lower end end models. But I think what what we're looking at is 90% production. Yeah, yeah. Mazda's Mazda's really good with their concepts uh, when they're rolling out. What was the Mazda six, the Takari or something like that? When they roll out their concepts, they're pretty close to production. And about that interior, uh, Christian, don't don't think they're not going to put that out similar um, because I had the Mazda 3, the high-end GT version with everything you could possibly imagine on it. Um, and the interior was actually pretty similar to this, except it wasn't that red. It looks like Alcantara. It was actually uh, two-tone leather, uh, and it has that big screen on the dashboard just like this. So don't be surprised to be to see the top-end interior to be kind of similar to that. Well, the things that stick out to me immediately um, is the screen in the center dash isn't square in any way, shape, form, or fashion, and making uh, poly polyagonal designs like that to be a screen is extremely difficult. And those seats don't look supportive enough 
and I don't think they'll pass crash test standards, and I don't see room for airbags. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to look exactly like that. Um, I'll have to give you pictures of what the, the interior of that, that top-end GT looked like. Um, and, yeah, the screen on the, the uh, Mazda 3 GT was like that, except it was square. But it was embedded in the dash that same way. It yeah. kind of sat upright off the dash. almost looked like someone sat an iPad up there. Yeah. Um, and the seats, the design, yeah, and the design of the seat was very, very similar. They're real thin and almost looked like racing seats. So you, you'd be surprised. It might actually come out looking similar. Well, I might have to buy one then, especially if it comes out with that diesel. Like, if Mazda would come out with the diesel 3, I would have a reason to sell my Golf. Uh, I mean, diesel engine is, is the wave of the future if you're not going to go electric. Uh, diesel is just – diesel's getting so good now, and the more that comes – uh, the more that come diesel, the cheaper diesel diesel gases or diesel gas diesel fuel is going to get. Um, so it's going to make it more beneficial because a it's getting better gas mileage, b it's uh, it's better for the environment, and c the prices come down the more people have diesel cars. Yeah, well, my biggest thing about enjoying the diesels is just the area that I'm at and the type of driving I do most of the time. I'm in a very twisty and hill heavy area. Um, and I don't have a lot of places to gain lots of speed. I mean, most of the roads I go down have tremendous amounts of hard corners and switchbacks and things like that in them. And so having the instant punch from the low-end torque makes a car more fun to drive than something I have to wind the nuts off of like, like a Miata. I mean, a Miata is still super fun on a lot of roads here. But for where I live and what I traverse the most most time, having that low-end torque is better. So, yes, Mazda, bring me a fancy diesel. Thank you. Please. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like the uh, we were talking about the sport packs last week. This is another one of those things, or the shooting brakes last week. This is another thing that, that is over in Europe in abundance um, that's going to slowly make its way over here. It will be nice. Um, do you guys have anything else from Geneva that, that we might have missed that you wanted to cover? I can't think of anything that I missed. Yeah, there was a lot there, but I think we pretty much hit on most of the high points last week. All right. Well, listeners, uh, just like we had last time, if we missed something and you want to tell us, just put it in the comments or let us know. If there's anything you want us to talk about that we don't talk about, please tell us, and we might do it or we might laugh at you and be like, who's that silly person? But uh, <laughs> either way, this has been the TopSpeed.com podcast. We're really happy to have all of you. Um, we want you guys to please let us know anything that you want us to cover. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, this is only our second cast. We're just starting to, starting to get into it. If you think we can improve, please tell us. If you think we're terrible, go ahead and tell us that too. If we're amazing and you want to send us cookies, I will give you my address. And if you think Chris is wrong, go ahead and tell us that too. I am never wrong. I know all of the things. Don't 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 listen to these silly people. Anyways, uh, I am Christian Mo. I can be found on Twitter at Moford. I'm joined by Justin Coupler. Justin, you can be found at Twitter at where? At the Car Junkie. All right, at the Car Junkie. And Mr. Mark, you can be found where? I believe it's Mark McNabb. I think that's. It's, I think You've that's. You've got to say creative. at. Really? Oh, you don't at. even know? Yes. At. No, you know. <laughs> He doesn't. He doesn't know. do the Twitter very well. I I, 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 t I used to tweet a lot, but now it's just kind of like, uh, I'm more Instagram, as as funny as that is. But yeah. I think I think next time I'm just gonna have to do the Twitter handle sec segment instead of letting letting you guys help. Mr. Mark McNabb is at Mark McNabb. All right. <laughs> I'm right at the car junkie. I can do my own. I'm a big boy. There you go. <laughs> this this episode of the TopSpeed.com podcast has been brought to you by Red Bull and Terrible Decisions. <laughs> <laughs> We want to thank everyone for joining and listening in. 
Um, again, please send us emails if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. The email address is podcast at topspeed.com, or you can leave a comment below when we post this up. We hope everyone has an awesome week and an awesome weekend, and we will see you next Thursday. Cheers. Thank you.